Hello and welcome to the podcast edition of ANC's Matters of Fact. So for today's podcast, uh, we're going to talk about an issue that is uh, a very important one as far as Filipino sovereignty is concerned because you know that uh, there's been um, Chinese buildup uh, in the disputed waters in the South China Sea. And of course, there's fear that uh, sooner or later, China uh, may be planning to build military installations on Scarborough Shoal, which is very close to the Philippines. So for today, we're going to talk about China's game, basically what China is really up to in this part of the world. And we are joined by Mr. Jose Antonio Custodio. He's a uh, military historian and security and defense analyst. You are, of course, a fellow at the Institute for Policy, Strategy, and Development Studies, a Manila-based think tank. And at the same time, you're also a non-resident fellow at the Strat-based ADR Institute for Strategic and International Studies Thank you very much for joining us in this podcast. Well, thank you very much also for having me here. Okay, let's try to put this in context because uh, usually the headlines are focused on China's buildup, the response of the Philippines and other claimant countries in the South China Sea. But uh, let's talk about the perspective here. What What is China's game here? China's game here is, um, uh, at the very least, regional um, regional dominance. At the very most, at least, uh, at the very most, it's... Uh, um, this side of the world dominance or hemispheric dominance all the way stretching to the central Pacific. In um, Some decades ago, they came up with their concept of uh, first island chain, which we are familiar with when it comes to the nine-dash line or the ten-dash line or how many dashes it has. Now, the, the nine-dash line is actually the, south, the, the southern half of the first island chain, which stretches all the way up to Japan. Mm-hmm. So what does China want to do there? It wants to turn this entire area into a Chinese lake. Okay? That's why it, it, its, um, it's uh, policy is to, um, to claim ownership of the uh, sea, which is unprecedented. Ownership by default because of the installations that are in place. In, the, in place. So the, the, the installations are, uh, militarily speaking, okay, up against a first-rate power. The, the, those uh, installations are practically um, st- sitting ducks, okay? But against um, countries like the Philippines, Indonesia, and uh, Vietnam, they, they tend to pose uh, credible threats, okay? Because they are being turned into um, power projection facilities. Mm-hmm. And um, technically, can I just bomb those facilities that have been put by, by, by China? They, they, we, we cannot just bomb them, assuming that we can. That, you, can, you can't just because it'll trigger a war. Okay? So basically, in perspective that you were talking about, that they are sitting ducks as far as world you, powers are concerned. Yeah, United States. In um, the event of a full-scale war. In the event of a full-scale war, they, they, they will be eliminated on the first day by, by, let's say, the U.S. Navy. Okay, but In fact, the U.S. military has a very dismissive um, uh, perception of those uh, of the combat worth of those particular facilities, but the fact is that they're, they're they, there. They are there, yeah, and they're causing a lot of headaches yes, for other claimant countries or even those who are yes. not uh, stakeholders in the area. So, so like I said, the Chinese policy is to create um, to create a situation where that is their, their lake, okay, and the countries around it are subservient to them or are malleable to them. So there's a there's a two uh, uh, two approaches are done by them. Okay, one is the intimidation policy, which uh, they we ha- we see already in the terms of these islands, and the other one is the um, 
the uh, co-optation that they do, the co-opting that they do on the on the uh, political elite of many of the countries that surround the area. Okay, and one of their primary tools is the uh, Belt and Road Initiative. Mm -hmm. So they waive these loans, they waive these um, benefit, uh, these um, funds. Okay, that that uh, at the same time they also. Uh, guarantee politically mm. the but, this leadership. But but why in the first place would China like to turn this body of water in this part of the world as quote unquote its own lake? What 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 is fueling this uh, this uh, this objective? Well, it's um basically it's um it, it'll hark back to the imperial times of China, okay, and China's sense of humiliation um, during the nineteenth century that it was carved into a little into a pie like by many western powers in even russia even japan so this is china's way of reclaiming its place it's payback time payback time it's payback time okay at the expense of the little countries uh, that are existing in the region now okay so but As, aside from uh, recovering from that uh, humiliation that is part of history of course but hmm. the idea that uh, is this purely economic or mostly no, it's, economic it's it's um it's it's extreme nationalist pride it's not just economic, it's also geopolitical. It's also prestige okay? um, um, uh, the, to push out the United States from this part of the world to um, beat Japan to submission, okay? to make, like I, to, like I said, make this area uh, initially a Chinese-like, and then from there project further into the Central Pacific, which we are now going to talk about, the, which is the second island chain. Mm wherein they um, uh, will, their grand strategy is to push out the United States from this part of the world already. Mm. And now, they will be the dominant one. Now of course, there's also this concept of a 100-year marathon by China. Mm -hmm. So that, that everything that they're doing now leads mm -hmm. to, that, uh, to that objective, to reclaim their rightful place mm -hmm. in world history. Yeah. Now, how close are they to achieving that? Well, very far, actually. Very, very far. In fact, um, you see, um, if I would use the term panda huggers in the Philippines, those who are pro-China, would paint China as a irresistible power. Okay, but no, it's not an irresistible power. Well, in fact, that um, uh, China has a lot of problems in terms of its um, its uh, stability as a country itself is uh, in question because of the fact that there is uh, unrest in many uh, many provinces, uh, Xinjiang for one. Mm. Okay. Uh, at the same time, the economy is not balanced in terms of there's massive uh, underdevelopment in internal areas, and then the coastal areas are uh, are better are more affluent. Then at the same time, uh, militarily speaking, they have um, they are still generations behind the United States. And we're just talking about the United States, and they're still the allies of the United States. So in terms of military superiority, the U.S. and its allies enjoy overwhelming superiority over China. But, but, but the fact is that they're mm. continuing their build-up, so to speak, to somehow seize control mm. of the waters. Well, that's the thing, okay? Um, no country can seize control of a sea. Um, that was even proven in World War II. But they're trying it. They're, they're trying to, but um, the sea, is um, because of its vastness, can never be effectively controlled by any uh, single power. So there will always be challenges to China's uh, claim. In fact, in fact, uh, the freedom of navigation operations that are being done by the United States and other 
um, of its allies like um, um, France and um, even Great Britain's coming in um, just show that that the Chinese um, uh, claim is uh, not tenable. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, how will they stop these vessels? Will do they ha- will they have enough warships to just barrel? And if they do that, if they try to um, blockade the entire sea, then that will also affect their economy because there will be a massive uh, international condemnation of China's uh, and China is is part of the global economy. So, so you see this uh, freedom of navigation operations to continue, yeah. even if China would like to, let's say, call their attention uh, all the time. So yes. that's the most that they can do at this they can, point. They, 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 they can try to harass it and what, what have you. But like I said, um, the thing with China is that if we try to be a more aggressive, then it will, it will also uh, boomerang on them in terms of um, their economic uh, growth because uh, countries might. No, that, yeah. that, that is the superpowers uh, mm-hmm. or the world powers yes, yes. Uh, continuing their freedom of navigation operations yes, despite yes. China's uh, challenges. China. But, but how about those uh, smaller countries such as the Philippines who are actual claimants in yeah. the disputed area? So aren't we at the losing end at this point? Well, uh, the thing is that um, in what way are we the losing end? Basically, we're not able to, let's say... Uh, the traditional fishing route, for example, in the oh, it's a matter, Scarborough show. It's a matter of choice. That's why we are in the losing end, because the administration itself has chosen not to challenge China. Mm, precisely that. Yeah. So, so, so it's, there, it's, it's a matter of choice of the Philippines. The Philippines could be like Vietnam if it wanted to, and it has the necessary resources. And the, in fact, what the Philippines has as an advantage over Vietnam is that Vietnam has no formal allies. Um, I, doubt, I doubt Russia will defend it. Uh, in in the west, in the west in the South China Sea. And what's interesting with Vietnam is, despite that, they're also engaging more closely with the United States, yes, yes. other Western uh, allies, and even China. Yeah, even in certain China, levels. In certain, uh, but they don't lose sight of the fact that what is theirs is theirs. Mm. Okay, unlike us, uh, um, we have chosen to disregard our advantages, which is the fact that we have the international community. Uh, we are not anymore that weak country that is portrayed by the administration, that there is no capabilities. In fact, we have already a Coast Guard that has become more capable in the past several years than it has ever been before. But again, like I said, um, the uh, policy is really not to confront China, not to not to engage China in any uh, uh, action in so, the sea. So, so, so a lot of this is triggered by the the policies that are put in place by the current administration. Yeah, the pro Beijing policy or the submissive policy to Beijing, if uh, one is to use that term. Okay, it's not. It's uh, at the very least, it's submissive policy to Beijing, which is uh, to um, downplay every single incident that happens. Now, let's talk about the facts on the ground because when the uh, declaration on the code of conduct. Mm-hmm in the South China Sea was signed in 2002. The facts on the ground were still vastly different from the one that we have mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned uh, China's designs in the area, mm-hmm. the, the island chains uh, mm-hmm. concept, but now they have this reclaimed land mm-hmm. and milis- military installation mm-hmm. in parts of the Spratlys. Of course, you have the issue in the Paracels. Mm-hmm. Then you have Scarborough. Uh, how soon, given China's overall strategy in this part of the world, are they expected to actually build there? Well, um, that's something that they will have to risk with the United States because uh, the United States also would not approve of uh, 
I, uh, well, uh, construction in this Scarborough Shoal that would be like a like a proverbial re- line on the sand. But it really depends on how because the thing with the U.S. right now is that it appears to be uh, distracted by internal politics, especially the the, the constro- uh, controversies regarding Trump and the Ukraine. Okay, so if China, if hotheads in China think that that's an opportune time, let's say if there's a if an impeachment process on Trump pushes through, okay, and uh, the U.S. is totally distracted by that, then China might um, gamble on on setting up a structure there but, eventually. But, but that can be addressed by, by, by clarity in policy coming from the United States. It, if they have a clear policy mm, in the South China or, or if they're or if they're, they're not just a clear policy, but uh, they are seem to be committed to action. Are they committed to action? Well, uh, so far they, they are they, because they're conducting phone ops and things like that. Uh, we are a the, the Philippines has been at the has been hosting a lot of both U.S. Um, um, bilateral U.S. and bilateral and multilateral U.S. exercises with other countries you, here. So how do you explain that? Because the the, the perception is that this mm-hmm. administration has been very much pro Beijing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, uh, you see that those activities with the Western powers are continuing. Well, this is how I look at it. You see, the thing with the South China Sea, West Philippine Sea area is that these are fronts upon which one uh, faces China. Um, we appear to be uh, partly doing our, our, our responsibilities with the United States when it comes to exercises. But when it comes to enforcing our claims, we're not there. Okay? We have practically been submissive to China. Okay, so um, we have, uh, but at the same time, um, in other fronts, we have opened up the Philippines to China, and China has been coming in 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 areas that in previous administrations were considered sensitive, like telecommunications, etc. Um, uh, the rise of pogos that even the defense secretary himself had said are security concerns. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is kind of surprising that he sees the Pogo as a security concern, but does, he does not see a Chinese telecom as a security concern. <laughs> yeah. um, at the same time, he does not see also the fact that an that a oil tanker in our easy near Manila uh, that was uh, harassed by the Chinese is uh, a security concern. He doesn't see it as a security concern. So, uh, so at the very least, they should raise concerns on yeah. the part of the mm. Philippine security so, officials. So th- what I'm looking, what I'm saying here basically is that the Philippines, th- it's being compromised in other areas. Okay, so the Chinese are applying a multi-pronged approach to co-opting the Philippines in terms of trying to win over our political elite. But, but we know that based on the surveys, China remains uh, not that popular compared to the public. Uh, before the public, yeah, compared to, to the United States. But to the, uh, for example, to our politicians, etc., China is very popular actually in terms of to our politicians who would, who court uh, Chinese uh, investments and so on and so forth, okay, or who are recipients of such or who have uh, benefited also from Pogo. But do you think it's just a matter of time before China actually builds on Scarborough to complete its uh, okay, so strategic triangle? So yeah, it, it it's just a matter of time that they will do that. Okay, it also dep- and um, once they do that, then but even if they don't do that right now, the point is Scarborough Shoal is already a threat to our centers of gravity because it's um, barely 120 nautical miles from Manila in a sense, and 
And to have that thing, that the, a Chinese military presence there is uh, actually a grave threat to the existence of the Republic. No. How? Like how? Because they can economically strangle us. Unlike uh, the West Philippine Sea, South China Sea area, it's uh, far from our metropolitan area. This one is so close it's to so the It's so close to our metropolitan area. It's mm-hmm. very, very close. And and um, they can intimidate, they can threaten, they can even have an economic blockade on us just to teach us a lesson, you know, or to make to intimidate the whatever administration is there. So now, now looking back, there was this huge debate on whether there was uh, an error committed by the previous administration when it came to dealing with the Chinese vessel that was caught yeah, uh, it was smuggling... A- um, Endangered species yeah. in Scarborough because since mm-hmm. 2012 China has been in control of Scarborough. I was um, I was a consultant in that previous administration and I I did not favor withdrawal. I, I did not. I was arguing for staying put because I knew that once you withdraw, it's goodbye. That's that's my that's my position then, and uh, I have seen that my position was correct. That uh, once you withdraw from the because everybody knows that. Um, uh, possession is ownership mm-hmm. in, in, in any territorial dispute. You withdraw, that's it. You know, uh, you, you cede it over to the other, and then he, the, China will never withdraw. But so, did we have enough uh, resources or wherewithal to actually stay there? Yeah, we, we would. We could. You know, we, we, we had. We had the necessary. Because it's, it's the responsibility of the government to, to, to bring that out. You can't say that... Uh, we, we lack a budget if it's a national emergency. If you understand the strategic importance of Scarborough, then you are mandated to come up with the resources and the funding to um, uh, to um, establish a continuous presence there. So how serious a miscalculation was that? Well, it was quite serious. It was quite serious because of the fact that, that um, now we have China possessing a dagger straight into the um, jugular of the Philippines. Now, looking back, we know that we've heard this uh, conspiracy theory before that this was actually part of the design of the United States at that time, actually putting the Philippines as a proxy in harm's way, basically feeding us to China. You've heard of that, no? Well, the Scarborough standoff in 2012. Well, well, I think that for me, basically, it was just, um, uh, you know, there's a saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> you know, so so there were good intentions. People wanted to negotiate, wanted to have a a, a peaceful resolution to this thing. But somebody didn't wasn't uh, wasn't uh, being honest, and that was China. And at the same time, the Philippines miscalculated by not returning because the agreement at that time was for both parties yeah. to actually withdraw. Yeah, and in fact, there was a point in time that um, there was um, because of a storm that happened. The the, the, the the Chinese had vacated the area uh, briefly, but even then we didn't reoccupy. So we should have. How, how about the initial action by the Philippine government, the fact that we sent uh, gray ships? Well, that, that gray ship was practically like, uh, it, it also revealed the revealed the um, limitation of the Philippine Coast Guard at that time. Okay? Because I think that was one of the complaints by China, yeah. or yeah. the excuse. Oh, it's just an excuse used by, by the Chinese. Yeah. It was just used by the Chinese to, to control, uh, to, to justify whatever actions that they had. But we could always have replaced it with a white ship. Okay? Now, as a background for those who are listening mm-hmm. to us, so there was a group of uh, Chinese poachers yeah. who, who took uh, endangered species from, the, from mm-hmm. that part of the sea, 
and then they were accosted by the by the Philippines, but sending a navy, a navy which ship. happened to be patrolling that area. I think yeah. it was the Del Pilar, if I'm correct. I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so ordinarily the rule is this. So when it comes to those operations, operations like that, there should have been a white ship sent. Well, the thing is that that's a problem. Eh. Pinoy, eh. Pinoy, kasi pero pag yung Pilipino kasi hindi ma- may problema sa proactiveness eh. no? the China was not silent about its threats to defend its fishermen so we really should already had had contingency plans on beefing up our coast guard to uh, to face that eventuality because the China was talking about that as early as uh, 2010 that they would 20, 2009 they were already saying that they were going to defend So the fact that we kept on sending gray ships to accost Chinese fishermen was a lapse on our part because we should have already anticipated that the Chinese would um, would defend. And uh, the thing there is not it's not that the it's not that um, the uh, gray ship was the one that accosted. It's more on the fact that China actually defended and seized mm. an area. So that's the thing that um, that uh, we should have uh, prepared for the capacity to. To sustain um, confrontation operations, just like what the Vietnamese do, okay. Um, so, so basically, it was something that the Philippines uh, was supposed to do, yeah, to protect the environment. But there was lack of foresight, L- I suppose. For, uh, yeah, it was it was lack of foresight, lack of out of the box thinking. It was just it was just basically complacency on our on on so many uh, that very slow, very slow in reacting. Now, fast forward. President Duterte himself has been using that incident to actually uh, go after the United States and ask them, you didn't do anything about it at that time. How do you expect me to do something about it now? Because it's his constitutional mandate. I mean, he has to. It's a part of Philippine territory. It's it's ours. I mean, in reality, so, he was he, he keeps talking about yeah, but, this uh, but reality he, check. He's using it as a justification to be submissive to China and to get whatever goodies he wants from China. But the point being here is that... Um, Okay, granted the United States uh, did not do that, but uh, you're still mandated. You have the Coast Guard, you have the Navy. You are mandated to uh, protect that area specifically because of the fact that um, it is a center of, it is poised, um, it is a threat to our centers of gravity. When I say centers of gravity here, uh, any, any, uh, any general and admiral worth the stars on his shoulder would understand how, how big a threat Scarborough Shoal is to our um, our sea lanes, our air, our air routes emanating from the national capital region. Now, how do you make sure, given the facts on the ground now in Scarborough, it has been in control of China mm-hmm. uh, since 2012? Mm-hmm. But what can we do to make sure that there would be uh, an actual buildup of military facilities there? Well, uh, the thing is that that is China's um, that is China's uh, risk to take if it's going to. Um, you, you cannot stop China in terms of. If it wants to build in that area, it will, on our own we cannot do that. Um, uh, no, but it depends also on how how um, how rabid their Beijing would be. Okay, how provocative they would be. Okay, it's, it, because remember it's a totalitarian country. Mm. It doesn't function under uh, how, the accountability of a democracy. So if there's a if there are hardliners there who would push for then they that thing could happen. Anytime. So, what is the only realistic deterrent well, the, the, to the, China? The, the thing is that we have to protect our um, fishermen who go there. We have to face them off, you know, with our with our ships. We have to we have to do what the Vietnamese have been always doing, which is to once the Chinese enter, they they face off the Chinese until the Chinese would either withdraw, you know, stand their ground, stand their ground. That's that's what you have to do because if you don't. Um, then the Chinese will push and push. But like I said, the threat here is not the Chinese are not just pushing 
in the seas. They are actually pushing in our in our body politic. Okay, they, they, that is the the more that is the, even the just a serious threat. It's not. It's not just in the seas that they are they are uh, seizing territory. They are seizing the consciousness of our politicians also. But when it comes to actually preventing China from reclaiming land on Scarborough mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. stopping them from building, uh, let's say, naval or aerial mm-hmm. base there, military base there. Well, you have to have the international community on your side. You know, you can't just keep on cursing them or what have you. You have to have the United States. Uh, you have to have um, Japan. Um, um, you can, like I said, uh, like I mean, like uh, um, Justice Carpenter was saying that there are economic uh, Uh, tools that you can use to pressure China not to proceed, that such would result in economic uh, economic sanctions also. There, there are so many diplomatic, economic, and whatever tools that you can use, aside also from standing your ground. Yeah, incidentally, of course, the uh, members of ASEAN and mm. China have committed mm. to a 2022 target to finish a code of conduct in the South China Sea. But one concern is that might it might only legitimize China's... Uh, yeah. Uh, designs in the area. Yeah, specifically because of the fact that um, we, that China might even have the Philippines as enabling that in terms of advancing, like like Duterte was in ASEAN meeting recently. He said that um, ASEAN should not um, choose sides between China and the U.S. But then again, when you think about it, is that a responsible thing to say? We actually have a mutual defense treaty with the United States. You know, we are obligated to to defend uh, each other. You know, so what? What is the what? The, what is he saying? Wasn't he talking in about uh, the context of the trade war between the U.S. and China? Well, uh, the thing is that he was talking about it was interpreted as larger than the trade war than than, than in in what he was saying. You know, so that is not you don't that is not the still that is not the declaration of a ally. But, but what's the use of having a COC at this time, given that China has already successfully built? military mm. facilities in parts of Spratleys? Well, the thing is that it can serve as a legal basis upon which uh, we can always put China to question. It can also be a mechanism upon which uh, countries like in ASEAN um, can exert uh, pressure on China. Because um, the, the thing is that you would, you would, um, you, they would be forced to, they would be, countries would be forced to adhere to that or to that uh, COC. And uh, always uh, work together. But okay. won't that somehow put uh, the other ASEAN countries, specifically the claimant countries within ASEAN, in a sort of straitjacket that they cannot do anything anymore because they it depends are being... on it depends on the COC that it that depends on the language, right? The language of the COC that comes out later on, okay? Because there is even concern that um, China might manipulate uh, the situation wherein uh, in in the COC it would um, it would exclude countries like the U.S. from operating in the region, like third parties and things like that from conducting, which is, um, which, um, which uh, would be um, like the like um, death knell to any effort to contain China. And also the concern that this might somehow render uh, useless the arbitral victory that the Philippines yeah. had. Because yeah. this might... Uh, it turns this, it, 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 that type of COC will turn the, the, the South China Sea into a Chinese lake. That thing we have to guard against. Yeah. As a final point, also the, the the suspicion that how come China has become more open to a COC over the past couple of years, when in fact the negotiations had been dragging on for so many years, 17 years mm-hmm. at least. 
now all of a sudden China is okay. Hey guys, we're now open to a COC. Well, there are several developments. One, for example, is China's increasing clout in terms of, well, it has Cambodia, then uh, it has uh, Cambodia, it has Laos, and then now it appears to have the Philippines. So it's more confident now in in trying to manipulate a COC that would benefit itself. In fact, one of, like I said a while ago, one of the uh, examples of that is to come up with a COC that bans third party, um, third country, or um, uh, uh, countries outside of uh, the, the region. Would it be better if we somehow delay negotiations until after 2022? Well, the thing is that um, uh, what would be better is that for me, okay, what would be better? Really, at the end of the day, is for our uh, for the Philippines to the the third administration to uh, to be committed to its constitutional mandate to defend the territorial integrity of the country. That it starts from there. Then from there, then you can approach your uh, negotiations on the COC because at least clear you're clear. You're not only um, stating it in words; you're also stating it in actions that you are there to defend the country, but not to have a situation wherein you will have. Somebody say that the oil tanker situation was not a, it's not some, it's not a, it's not something to be worried about. Not the concern by the Philippines. It's not the concern of the Philippines. It's not, and what the spokesman also said, you know, those things, those are not. Because at most, uh, if you are the spokesperson of the president, you should have somehow commended yeah. the Filipino yeah. captain and the crew that decided yeah. to stand their ground. Yes, so it, it didn't happen. So if you if you have that type of mentality, then. Um, whatever delay you have in a COC, you will always have a sympathetic uh, um, ch- to Beijing type of document that will come out at yeah, the end of the day. Because that's the thing. Uh, the perception is that China has been rushing or suddenly mm. open, is open to mm. a COC before 2022 because mm. that is the year that the president is expected to step down mm. and they might not be able to somehow... Uh, deal with uh, a president who would be as accommodating. That, that's why I'm so. That's why I was saying that um, the Chinese approach in the Philippines is multi-pronged. They are investing heavily in our political uh, climate now. You know, uh, in terms of like, say, the Pogos themselves. You know, it's very linked to local government units. So uh, one can see here that there's um, that the uh, that uh, there there is an obvious effort by the China, by Beijing to win over the local political elite so that there is a sense of continuity after Duterte. Okay, Mr. Jose Antonio Custodio, thank you very much for joining us in this podcast. Thank Always you. a pleasure, sir. Thank you very much also for having me here. Thank you. And that's it for this week's podcast. Catch us again next week for another episode of the ANC Matters of Fact podcast. Mm-hmm.